This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. Implicit bias training is ineffective because it does not uh, address explicit bias. And if someone is explicitly racist and has ties to a white supremacist group, uh, a training is not going to take care of that. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma, my heart beats true blue. Citizen Tacoma, I'll always vote for you. Hi, Annie. Good. What happened today? I mean, we talked to Janice. Yeah. Janice Bridges. Yeah. I, you know what's great? Um, write-in candidates. Don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on writing candidates because they, they may have some interesting stuff to say. You might miss it if you don't if you don't do your homework before you vote. Yeah, we talked to Janice Bridges about a number of things, including the touchy subject of defunding the police and such. But I guess I think what we come away with, if you choose to vote for Janice Bridges, make sure you spell her name correctly on the write-in ballot. Absolutely, very important. Listen in. Janice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Absolutely. So where are you from originally and how did you end up in Pierce County? I am from Portland originally and I lived there uh, through my high school years. So born and raised. Uh, I went to Oregon State University for one year and Portland State University for one year. And then I got married real young (laughs) and lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, Santa Maria, California. And then we moved up to uh, Des Moines and eventually out to uh, East Pierce County, Lake Taps area. So along the way, I had four kids who are the best people in the world, just in my opinion. (laughs) And so I now have uh, four grandsons. And uh, two of my kids and two of my grandsons live here in Tacoma. And uh, two of, well, one of my kids lives in uh, Virginia for some reason. And then my other uh, daughter, her husband, and my other two grandsons live in Seattle. So all the grandkids are pretty close. That's awesome. So you close to family. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what do you enjoy most about living here? I uh, Tacoma is my favorite place I've ever lived. Um, and, you know, I bounced around a little bit. But Tacoma is far and away my favorite just because um, the sense of community, I find, and the sense of... Uh, Authenticity. It seems like people in Tacoma are not trying to be anything other than people in Tacoma. (laughs) And I love that. And I love the fact that my neighborhood is full of all different kinds of people, all different ages. And, um, you know, I can walk one block and be in a completely different sort of neighborhood, walk the other way, and I'm in a different kind. So 
I love that it's very walkable. Um, I've met wonderful people here and had wonderful jobs. Um, but really, I, there's a another sort of weird part of me that <laughs> feels like Tacoma and I have been on a similar trajectory because I started back to school when University of Washington, Tacoma was still in the Perkins building. And downtown Tacoma was fairly derelict about that time. And uh, during the years that I finished up at uh, my undergrad and then went on to get my master's when the campus was built, um, I had a lot of really amazing life changes. And I feel like uh, Tacoma and I were sort of, <laughs> have been on that same path together. So I have a sort of ir irrational fondness for Tacoma for a lot of reasons. Awesome. I also love Tacoma. Uh, and mm -hmm. it feels similarly. Mm -hmm. What is your professional background? So you said that you went to UW Tacoma. What, mm -hmm. is, what have you done for work in the past? What is your occupation? So uh, in the way past, I uh, taught piano while I was raising my children. <laughs> and um, then after I went to uh, UW Tacoma for my undergrad, I went to work at the Olympian newspaper uh, because I was sort of, I had a writing emphasis. So I did uh, copy editing and, you know, wrote headlines and captions at the Olympian for a while. And then I was offered a job by the Tacoma Rescue Mission to write grants for them. And so I did that for a while. And then I just missed being in school. So I went back to, <laughs> to get my master's uh, in social work. And so after, during and after that time, I worked for a while for um, Metropolitan Development Council in homeless services. Um, I worked for the treatment part of um, drug court, which at that time was run by Pierce County Alliance, Breaking the Cycle. And then I did some program research on drug court where I would do uh, interviews in the jail and 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 that sort of thing. And then I went to work at Pierce County Juvenile Court, uh, also known as Raymond Hall. And I worked there for 17 years on the civil side of the court. Um, so what I did was uh, ended up the last several years managing a program that provides uh, advocates to children who are in foster care. Uh, when I was there, it was known as the CASA program but we also had several full-time uh, guardians ad litem that I supervised along with uh, several other people. The whole program itself was about, uh, with all the CASA volunteers, staff GALs and other staff was probably about 260, 70 people. So. And I, I co-managed that with my uh, great working friend and, and partner for several years. So it was... Uh, a lot of good work. Um, I, I did come to realize as I did more studying and became more aware that um, the foster care system is itself a, a system that uh, can perpetrate violence towards families. And uh, so in some ways I feel, well, in a lot of ways I feel implicit in having uh, worked in that system for several years. And uh, so we did 
we tried to make changes as we could in our corner of the system. Um, but uh, in, as you know, in a system that's marked by racism, um, little changes don't ultimately change uh, what the system was built for. So, Absolutely. I was a foster parent briefly, and uh, my normal gig at Channel 253 is with Hope over on the Interchangeable White Ladies podcast. Mm-hmm an episode a couple of years ago about the foster care system. And for our listeners who are unfamiliar with that system or how it works or how racism operates within the foster care system, there's some great resources and extra reading you can do about that. It's, um, yeah, it's, there are definitely a lot of problems with the system, but a lot of great people working within a problematic system. So Yeah, that's true with most of our systemic racist systems. You can put a lot of good people in them, but they keep on cranking out the job they were built to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I gotta ask? This is the one that's been this one that's been on my mind. What inspired you to run for sheriff? Why sheriff? Why now? <laughs> my daughter Katie is the one who inspired me. Um, I, it's sort of a two pronged thing. I've been as I've uh, alluded to, studying uh, anti-racist teachers, uh, reading a lot, um, listening a lot, watching a lot over the years. And um, so getting to the place now that I'm retired where I felt, you know, I'm, I'm stuffed full of knowledge and beliefs and feelings and I just need to get out there and do something. So I was feeling that way um, during the primary my daughter, uh, Katie Evans, got really upset by the uh, what she felt were lack of choices for sheriff. And so she wrote my name in. And then she started an online campaign for me uh, before consulting me. <laughs> and so I thought, well, this isn't, this isn't a prank or a joke. It shouldn't be treated as that. It's a really serious thing. And so she and I went away together for a weekend and just really debriefed and thought about it. And I thought, you know what? Um, when I was filling out my ballot, I, I thought, you know, I wish there was someone that was bringing up the issues that are occurring at this particular time in history in our country. And if no one is willing to talk about that in this race, then then I'll do it. So that's that's the short version of the story there. <laughs> so interesting with uh, a, a position like sheriff, which is nonpartisan, that it actually creates more opportunities for a broader range of, of viewpoints um, to be added to the conversation where sometimes with races that are partisan, it really limits the conversation to do parties or two candidates, right, our main two parties. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure that's created some interesting opportunities. Mm-hmm. What are what are some unique challenges about being a write-in candidate? Because being, being a write-in candidate is, it comes with unique hurdles. So what have you faced as a write-in? Well, you know, the fact is that being a write-in candidate, it would, it would be a sort of uh, amazing miracle if, if I won the race. And um, I'm doing whatever I can to be out there, talk to people. I've talked to a lot of uh, groups in Pierce County over Zoom and get more invitations every week. So um, doing that, we'll be putting signs out. And, you know, I have a lot of people that 
I haven't even met who I find out are, you know, doing things on my behalf. So um, I've met, I've really appreciated meeting so many great people in the community and finding um, areas where I will definitely continue to be engaged. Um, well, really for the rest of my life, I want this sort of work, uh, anti-racism um, and anti-white supremacist delusion work to be what I do and right here in Tacoma and Pierce County. So, um, but overall I, I've been met, uh, well, I probably stick to pretty friendly circles, but <laughs> most of the places I've been and have spoken, um, people are pretty receptive and glad that there's uh, someone else um, with a, a little bit of a different take on uh, law enforcement in Pierce County. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there's a, it's an opportunity also to kind of start conversations about what law enforcement looks like going forward and the alternatives to what we are currently doing, right? Um, yes, absolutely. What are, yeah. What are, when you think about your, your priorities, in get, if you were to get elected, or even just priorities in starting conversations with your neighbors and with people who live in, in the county, what are, what are some of your priorities? What are the things that you, you said anti-racism, anti-white supremacy, what are some, some of your priorities yeah. as, a, as a candidate? Well, the big, the driving force behind me wanting to be involved in this is the fact that, uh, you know, police and sheriffing uh, kills black people. And the fact that I have such a different experience of policing as a white lady than do my black neighbors. I mean, completely different experience. Um, I've always felt protected by the police and my black friends feel threatened. And, uh, you know, at, at the cost of having their lives taken. So you can't get farther apart in those experiences. And that is... Um, it's not okay, and I just can't be comfortable with it anymore as a fact of our life um, here in Tacoma, in Pierce County, the state, the country. So that's really what, what drives me. And so my first area to look at, well, the first thing to look at is every task that we ask our deputies to do, our armed law enforcement officers, and ask for each one of those tasks, does this require an armed officer? Is this a situation we need to bring a gun to, you know? And um, according to a study I just saw today, 4% of officers' time is spent responding to active violent crimes, 4% of their time. So, you know, there's a lot of room to look at things that could be changed. So that would be where I would start. And I have been um, sitting in on the law and justice community review meetings that have just started occurring with Judge Cuthbertson as the facilitator. And they're going through um, reports that the sheriff's office, uh, corrections, uh, the prosecutors, have done recently looking at how uh, inequality and racism are present in Pierce County. So the community review board is going through those reports, um, making recommendations uh, 
finding out where the gaps are, where they feel the gaps are. So that's been uh, really interesting just to have a, there are two representatives from each district in the county. And uh, just hearing all the voices out there and other people who are really interested in these um, issues. Uh, one thing that's missing that's very high on my priority list is uh, looking at traffic stops. 50% uh, of uh, our interactions with law enforcement come through traffic stops. And we all know how <laughs> deadly those can turn in many cases. And so I think it makes sense to look at reducing traffic stops. So one way, of course, is just um, adding to already available technology for electronic ticketing. Um, because the greater number of uh, traffic stops are for speeding. So, you know, having more cameras out there and just mail you a speeding ticket. The other thing that's very interesting to me is what uh, they've just d done in Berkeley, California. And they've completely moved their traffic patrols to, they created a new department called Berkeley Department of Transportation. And they have unarmed traffic safety patrols that go out in the role. <clears throat> the role is defined as similar to a building or health inspector. So you're out there monitoring to see that folks are following rules and just everyone's safe. And, you know, you wouldn't expect your health inspector to come to your restaurant with a gun if, you're <laughs> if your place is dirty or overcrowded. So um, it makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, they also have um, the role to, to help drivers who are having minor issues with their car, you know, doing roadside assistance. Um, give them little uh, fix-it tickets and they you just mail back the stub if you've gotten your broken taillight fixed or whatever. But I think I would like to take that further and if people can't afford the repairs is have some some sort of vouchers that they could use to get uh, repairs for their cars. So um, that's a great place to start to just because that's where so many interactions with armed law enforcement officers happen. So it seems like you're talking a lot about uh, reprioritization of of resources. Um, yes. And 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 you know the term defund the police is a very hot term. Mm -hmm. So so what does that with regard to what you've been saying? What does defund the police mean, or what does that look like to you? Uh, what it means to me is uh, drastically reducing the number of armed law enforcement officers. And at the meeting this week with the Law and Justice Committee, Judge Cuthbertson said that 70% of tax dollars in Pierce County go towards law enforcement. I had thought it was less than that, but um, he may be looking at Tacoma city taxes as well as Pierce County. So 70%. And uh, Social and health services in Pierce County's budget are, I believe, uh, well, the, I do have my, my Pierce County stats here. Uh, five or so almost $300 million for law enforcement and health and human services is five. So five to 300. So I think there's a lot of work we could do there. 
And if you think about all the other sorts of professionals who can better do the jobs that armed officers are asked to do, um, we could for sure uh, reduce the budget for the armed cadre of deputies. And then with the uh, community responders uh, also divest a lot of those funds and just pour it into the communities that are most harmed by over-policing and who are most in need of community services. So uh, divesting from uh, policing, which is, you know, at its, at its worst, a life-taking uh, area of practice and pouring money into life-giving and nurturing um, resources for the communities, uh, better access to, did you have, did you want to stop there, Doug? Oh, no, no, no. I was just, okay. I was, I just had a follow-up question. I, um, you could please continue and I'll, I'll, I'll. Uh, I was just sort of bullet pointing the services that are yeah. needed in the, in the community, the black communities, community specifically, better access to healthy food, education, jobs, training, safe housing, um, areas to you know, safe play, safe recreation, and a healthy environment. So healthy communities are safe communities. And so we need to really focus on community health and community safety, family support, daycare, um, just all those good things that um, we know can uh, help our communities be safe and healthy if we have the political will and the community will to do that. Yeah, my question would be organizationally, what does that look like? Do do you, would money purely be allocated to other services um, as a sort of preventative um, situation, maybe, or would there be reorganization within uh, law enforcement so that they are in charge of some of those things? Um, so they have people on staff, the health, um, you know, social workers that could go to a situation as opposed to an armed officer. Yeah, that's, I think, the model that I've seen that I like is adding co-responders to a much reduced armed force. So having, I mean, right now they do have community responders for mental health and addiction um, crises, um, but there are not very many, and they are only recommending adding two more when, you know, I think we need <laughs> dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of that sort of worker. Um, you've probably heard of a, a, a program in Eugene, Oregon, that's been running for 30 years, and it's called CAHOOTS, and they are community mental health uh, care responders who, uh, when 911 calls come in, they're triaged, and if they are a mental health or addiction or other uh, crisis that's not a, a deadly force incident, um, they send the community responders and they get about 20, I think it's 25,000 calls a year. And they have only called for police reinforcement in 120 of those this past year. So um, that would be a, a good place to look at to uh, emulate. And like I said, they've been going for 30 years. So, and you know, Eugene is not like Tacoma, but they 
we wouldn't have to completely reinvent the wheel because a lot of jurisdictions are doing this. Denver's just started and Oakland. So there are a lot of places that are moving ahead with these. Mm -hmm. I was also wondering about um, Justin, and this is something that I think um, people of color, specifically black Americans have um, been deeply aware of for all of the time that America has existed, but the kind of relationship between law enforcement and communities and communities of color, but also the communities at large are kind of strained. Trust is broken right now because of recent incidents that have exposed that kind of um, violence, right, within systems and racism within systems. So apart from like refocusing energy and funds on um, kind of a more nuanced response to community, like problems in the community. Um, how would you go about mending that relationship? Because there's sort of a uh, conception of the police as um, having, you know, in terms of positional power, having more power than citizens, having the ability to um, take people's lives, right? That that is mm -hmm. in some cases protected by law. So how do you mend those relationships when they've been so strained for so long and have recently been, there've been a lot of wounds that have been reopened. How do you, how do you do that? Well, that is a good question. One of the things that I am proposing and uh, is the, a change in the leadership of the sheriff's office. And so, uh, because I'm retired and I do fine, um, I wouldn't be wanting to take the salary of the sheriff and I would like to create jobs that would be uh, sort of a, a community safety council that would be at the helm of the sheriff's office and they would be a team of paid uh, representatives from the communities that are most affected by uh, over-policing. And then their role could come out of what they see as the needs. So I think right at this time is really a great time to do a lot of um, revisioning, imagining what community safety could look like if we would happen to get to a world where we didn't need police um, or just needed very few. Uh, to take on some of the European countries' point of view that when there's a crime, the, it's a failure of the community. And so you ask the person who's, uh, you know, made a misstep, you know, how, how have we failed you and what do you see as our role in, in healing? So um, I think that would be a, an interesting way to go to have community representatives that are, you know, are paid a good salary to uh, be at the, uh, the helm of the office. And uh, um, yeah, so that's one idea. And, um, to lead and uh, lead by sort of a consensus model. And so that is one idea that I think would help uh, bring in the community. And then those folks would have a better idea too of ways to approach um, mending relationships. What you're saying reminds me of the restorative justice practices that they use in um, juvenile juvenile justice system um 
they've had a lot of success with that in, in King County. Um, mm -hmm. So do you see kind of restorative justice or restorative practices as being important to your vision for the sheriff's office? Exactly, because if we're reimagining um, the whole community safety model, uh, what we don't want to do is uh, cause more harm. So that's sort of the basis of, I, I like a transformative justice where you um, work outside the systems of the state and the community itself uh, works to heal harms, to get back in right relationship. And, you know, there are communities that really cannot call the police because uh, either of immigration status, warrants, one thing or another, families will be broken. And so um, I think it's a, a great idea to uh, put more of that funding into transformative justice training and uh, get those models going in communities and really starting some of these things. So I know when people hear defund the police or abolish the police or abolish prisons, they think, oh, they're just going to take them away and then you know, let the chips fall where they may. But, um, you know, people who've been working in the abolition movement for decades are not, uh, they're not fools. They know that there are people who cause harm and they, most of them are brought into the movement because of, of harm. So it's not that people are unaware that there are folks out there who harm others. They are aware that over-policing, catching, uh, hurting, incarcerating, doesn't help. It, hurt, it adds to the harm. So really envisioning new ways to go um, that people have been talking about for decades, but I think this is one of the first moments where people are listening across the community as something that's actually feasible and not just like a crazy radical, you know, movement. So, um, I'm, I'm excited that we could really do some amazing things. And I would love for Pierce County and Tacoma to be a place where, you know, you, uh, other people's kids, other people's grandkids, everyone's kids, um, my grandkids feel safe and are proud of the way that we, you know, honor and uh, value and give full dignity to everyone who lives here. So. Excellent. And now would be a great time to take a short break, and we will be right back. This is producer Doug of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU probably doesn't need any introduction. They've been part of the Tacoma community since 1890. Maybe your kids went there. Hey, maybe you went there. Go Lutes! But if you're thinking about revamping your career or launching a second career, have you thought about PLU for a master's program? PLU offers a dozen master's degrees and postgraduate certificates. And get this, some of them can be completed in as little as nine months. Get your master's in education and become someone's favorite teacher. Get your MFA and unleash your inner poet. Or focus on the body and how it works with the new master's in kinesiology. Applications for all master's programs are on a rolling basis. For more information, visit plu.edu graduate to learn more. PLU, 
for the next step in your career. My next question is about implicit bias training. So uh, recently, a high-level elected official in the United States uh, criticized the federal government's uh, anti-racism and anti-bias training as being racist, which I thought was a really interesting take. Um, and King County has uh, a minimum, I believe it's a minimum of eight hours. The state has minimums for implicit bias training as well. And they also require um, training, it's required training in de-escalation. Uh, and those things are related, right? Implicit bias training and de-escalation training are, they're related, right? Because oftentimes um, escalation can occur because of implicit bias, right? And um, of their bias. So from your perspective, do you think that these trainings are, what are, what, are they doing enough? Um, if they're not doing enough, why not? Um, should people, should officers be required to do more than eight hours of training? Well, actually, um, I-940 requires more hours than that. Okay, and that's what I said, the state requirement's higher. So I know the yeah. county required their deputies to have eight hours, but then the state requirement is higher. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, is it adequate? Is it enough? Well, Training is an interesting thing when it comes to law enforcement, and there are a lot of really interesting things out there that you can read. Um, Alex Vitali, who wrote The End of Policing, um, has some studies that show that uh, officer behavior actually gets worse after anti-bias training. Uh, the reasons for that, uh, we can all speculate, but I don't know. Um, and then the Brennan Center for Justice just uh, was talking about the FBI's paper that says uh, there are white supremacist and anti-government militia domestic terror groups with active links to law enforcement um, all over. And Washington was one of the states particularly noted in that. And uh, what they said is implicit bias training is ineffective because it does not uh, address explicit bias and if someone is explicitly racist and has ties to a white supremacist group, uh, a training is not going to take care of that. So as one of the folks in the, I was talking with the um, Pierce County Black Democrats, and uh, a few of them thought that all, all of the deputies should have to reapply for their jobs and go through several types of screenings and that sort of thing. But it's definitely something to look at. And I know the Law and Justice uh, Citizens Community Review is recommending more training, but ultimately uh, training has been shown to be largely ineffective in changing uh, law enforcement officers' behavior. As a teacher, that makes me feel sad, but also yeah. makes um, that that makes sense um, when you explain it that way. Is mm -hmm. another, so you mentioned um, like rehiring hiring process again, but are there other solutions that we should be thinking about as a community in terms of um, reducing the number of people with explicit bias um, or confronting that? Like what are some other, uh, what are some other solutions to that problem? Um. One thing they talk sort of around in the Brennan uh, report is that uh, 
you know, most uh, officers, whether it's in police departments or sheriff's departments, uh, you know, highway patrol, um, most folks know who is explicitly racist or has connections to groups, um, but, you know, unwillingness to, to let on. So I don't know if there's any way to work at it that way. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an area that needs to be addressed because, uh, you know, those groups have been identified as the, the highest on the domestic threats um, or white supremacist groups. So to know that a lot of law enforcement folks have active links is uh, disturbing. Yeah, I wonder if there's something with like the existing state laws about uh, like the whistleblower laws. Um, mm -hmm. With like police, I mean, there's not, um, like you said, people are unlikely or unwilling to snitch is the word that I think of, yeah. like someone that they work with. Um, and that goes for any profession. A lot of times people will try to protect their coworkers. It doesn't, you know, it's not exclusive to police at all. Sure, sure, yeah. But um, it seems like we already have systems in place for protecting whistleblowers in our state. Um, so I don't know. I, that's a good question because I, you know, other folks I've talked to um, said the same thing. Like how, you know, how do we kind of eliminate this problem? How do we get people who are, who is they're they're trying to do the right thing um, to basically call out people who aren't, you know, safe for them in a safe way. Right. Because that can be very risky personally, but also, I mean, you think professionally, but also personally dangerous or risky. Yeah. Well, I will keep asking the community for input on that. And I'm always reading and looking for things that have worked in various jurisdictions. So. That's great. Um, so when you hear criticism of your ideas or your plans or like what, um, you know, people come at you and they say, Janice, like, how is this possible? How are we going to do this, right? Like, how can you convince people, get people, you know, the political will isn't there. How do we get people to listen to this message? Um, how do you appeal to them? Like, what's the, what's the appeal for people who doubt your ideas? Um, so far, I usually, when I run through my list of, of ideas, uh, which I sort of call uh, meaningful reforms on the path towards uh, divesting and reinvesting. So um, almost everyone I've talked to is very interested in at, at least one of those things. And um, I have to admit, I'd mo I've mostly talked to friendly groups so far. <laughs> and uh, so we'll see if I get invited to uh, be at a candidates forum with, with the other two who are running. So that would be a different, a different group, I think. So but so far, um, everyone is everyone that I've talked to seems sort of hungry for change and uh, really, really feeling not okay about there being two Americas, two Washingtons, two Pierce Counties, or Tacomas. You know, it's it's just uh, cannot be. It cannot stand that. You know our black neighbors have such a different experience than we do. It's, and that it's, we are where we are and this is still what it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I one question that actually kind of I was thinking about earlier, but I wasn't sure exactly how to phrase it. One serious issue in American policing in the last 20 years has been the militarization of the police. So um, local sheriff's departments, police departments getting decommissioned military equipment, um, kind of things that you would see in a war zone, right? So what is yeah. your, like how, what steps do you take to demilitarize the police? Like what's, cause that's piece of what I, I would hear you're saying because it's, it's like, um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, aspects to this, but like what, that specifically, like, how do you go about doing that? Well, you definitely don't invest in any new toys. And part of the defunding uh, mindset is to, you know, you don't take, you don't add to the toys. You sort of <laughs> take away toys and eventually reduce the scope, the power, the legitimacy. And part of that is, you know, demilitarizing um, and uh, Pierce County has some of that. They have one large vehicle that actually was given to them, but um, I understand it doesn't get used really. So you know, yeah, when you yeah. get a gift, you don't have to take it. Uh, right. Exactly. You could, you could not. You could also <laughs> yeah, regift. Okay. You could yeah. say no thanks. You know. Yeah. So yeah, definitely not. And that's kind of. I think the thing I've gotten pushed back on most is on body cams and vehicle cams because I'm not a huge proponent of them because there's no evidence showing that it changes officer behavior. Um, if, if people could agree that if someone turns their camera off, then that's an admission that they intended to do harm, then that could be one use, but uh, it sort of goes against the, defunding mindset too. It's it's adding a huge investment and ongoing cost to maintain those those cameras. So um, I, I have engaged a little bit on folks who say um, when they look at my uh, information on my little flyer, it's like, oh, you don't have body cams on there. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> so, but that's one thing that Pierce County is willing to do is get that body yeah. cams so. it seems like the issue with body cam like what you're saying is that if someone turns it off that shows that they have the intent to do harm they mm -hmm. not actually have that information unless the harm had occurred right it's very reactionary it's like let's review the tape oh there's not a tape right and so that's not a proactive solution to like change behavior no. to no. keep people safe yeah it's interesting okay so people if they want to vote for you janice have to do an extra step they have to do the right to check right in. They have to write your name. They have to spell it correctly. That's right. So when people get their ballots and they're thinking about who they want to vote for, if you had to kind of distill down to tell people right now, maybe even people who are skeptical, why would I vote for a right-in candidate? What would you tell them? What's your, what's your like elevator? What's your 30-second pitch to say vote for me? I would tell them that... Um my background as a, uh, a nurturer and an advocate, being both mother, grandma, and advocate for kids all my career, or most of my career, uh, makes me a person who can bring in a new vision to community safety and community safety for everyone. I find a lot of times that when people say, well, if we defund or make our police or sheriff force smaller, we're, we're not going to be safe. And 
most of the people who've said that to me have been thinking about white communities that oh, will be at danger. Um, I want everyone in our community to feel safe. And I'm willing to do not just uh, milk toast little reforms here and there, but deep reforms along the way to a better, healthier, safer community for everyone, where everyone has full dignity, full health. And like as uh, Patrice Kohler says in the Black Lives Matter movement, um, when Black lives are valued and nurtured and given full dignity, everyone does better. And so I just think that a new vision is what we need, and this is a good time to do that. That was a great pitch. That was great. That was like the elevator length speech. That was, that was fantastic. Um, well, you feel like a friendly audience too, though. So <laughs> <laughs> We're receptive. Uh, yeah. So our action items for the day, uh, democracy is not a spectator sport. So what are today's action items? My action item today is to investigate the options uh, for voting for sheriff who live in Pierce County um, and do not discount writing candidates because writing candidates play a really important role in our elections. Um, and that this is a, this is a, Janice is a great example of why you should look twice at your voter guide and, um, and the, you know, that's information available online because, um, yeah, I think a lot of times writing candidates are often seen as like, um, not, since your name's not with the other ones on the ballot that not worth looking at, but that's, that's obviously not true. Um, and so, yeah, do your research, everybody. Obviously I'm going to say this every time, but make sure you're registered to vote and vote as well. So that's my advice every time, James. I just, I tell everybody, I just remind them. Yes, that's good advice. I, uh, and everything. Yeah. yeah. And you know, folks can visit my website at janicebridgesforsheriff.com. Um, if you want a yard sign, you can email me. And I always like to end with one of my favorite quotes that most people have heard. Not everyone has heard the little preamble, though, by Representative John Lewis, the late, great, amazing. Um, Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It's the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So everybody find some good trouble to get into. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before we go, Doug, did you have any action items to, to send us off? I think that if you want to be ambitious, um, you might uh, find an organization, Indivis Indivisible Tacoma is one, there are others that help uh, that send postcards or encourage other people to vote. So if you're convinced that you're going to vote, maybe reach out and make an effort to to help and remind other people to vote as well. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic advice. Thank you, Doug. All right. Thank you so much, Janice. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun to see your faces. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Thank Channel 253 you. podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, 
Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.